why is it that you're going to do this? So I think probably my biggest reason was you have to have a, something is so important to you that to not do it, it just, it wouldn't be worth it. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Ribbons, your host for Next, a podcast dedicated to telling relatable stories that inspire a fluid approach to life, purpose, and to navigate change. I'm honored today to be chatting with today with Dr. Barbara Lassiter, a psychologist with numerous pivots under her belt and a wealth of experience. She has coached clients from around the world in areas such as entrepreneurship, real estate investing, effective skills for interviews, resumes, re-entering college, and more. Her success as a coach for the past 11 years is credited to her ability to focus on each client's best skills and what is important to them. Entering her graduate program later in life, Dr. Barb has navigated many challenges, has repurposed them into her wisdom and knowledge, and is helping others to meet their goals. Welcome, Barbara. Again, we were just talking about uh, the millennials and, and, and baby boomers and Gen Xs and, and the gap and really seeing that as a way that we can cross-pollinate. And um, you have so much experience and wisdom and you have come up against so many struggles. So I think we should start with that as far as where you came from and what got you on the career path and how you navigated this. So let's start with where you began. Well, at some point um, back in the day, I was married and I had a total of seven children. Uh, My first relationship was very abusive. And at some point, I had to literally escape with my life. So I did so. But back in the 60s and 70s, when I was married to my first husband, they didn't have shelters. There was nowhere to go. There was no one to help me. I really couldn't rely. I just had my mother and she was too fragile to to visit or to go to for help. So I was pretty much on my own. And when I was finally able to get my children back with me, um, I started to school. I was 36 when I started college for the first time. I went to a local community college and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So I kind of tossed this idea out to the universe. Okay, what could I stand to do eight hours a day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year that would pay me enough to support my children so I won't have to be on welfare? Mm-hmm. And I just kind of threw that question out there and waited. And anytime worry would seep in, which of course it does, because oh, you're yep. what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm scared out of my mind. And with seven kids, I mean, I, I can't even imagine. So, And I, uh, all of a sudden, about two weeks later, I woke up about two o'clock in the morning and there was just a question. Why not computer science, which in the day was called data processing? And I thought, you've got to be kidding. It's not even on my list of what I want to do. Uh, so I thought, well, okay. So now what do I do if, I, if I'm going to do computer programming? And another few days went by and I woke up, it was two o'clock in the morning and there was a, another question, why not apply for college? I thought, well, that's a good idea. So I went out to the local uh, technical school, which is now a community college. And I went ahead and I got all the information and I, I applied. And I went back home and my uh, mother-in-law at the time said, well, you'll never get in because they've just turned away all the students. They're full for the year. 
I said, you know, this really isn't my problem. Um, I was told to do this, so I just went ahead and do it. And, you know, if, uh, if it's supposed to be, then it'll happen. And about a week later, I got an acceptance notice with a full uh, financial education ride, you know, grants and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I uh, got into what was computer programming. Now they call it coding, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so I finally graduated two years later. And that was my first degree. I had it at 38. It was in associates. And one of my friends um, happened to know of a position with his company, which was the second largest computer company in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, I think you'd be perfect in the job. And of course, I didn't know anything about their computers other than the fact I'd worked on a few of them uh, in class. And I went and I interviewed for the job. I was really scared because I had no clue what I was doing. And the guy that I um, let me just let me just stop you there for a second. Yeah. Uh, um, a um, once married woman with seven children, you know, that was in the time that was what you were to do. So you weren't given all these skills of going to college, applying for college, applying for jobs. I mean, that was big. Everything for you was new, right? Totally new. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I had no clue. And I was so scared. I had yeah, no family, sure. um, no child support, no friends that I could really lean on at that time. It was either me or nobody. And <laughs> wow. so wow. I was given the job and I worked there for just under 11 years before I was downsized. The, com this, the company was starting to, to fold because the head of the company was starting to uh, get dementia. Um, so I immediately applied for every kind of uh, job I could find with, you know, temp agencies. And I would wear, you know, a business suit and I'd take in my resume and I'd go in. And of course, as, as I believe I mentioned once before, all the uh, receptionists there had names that ended in E, Wendy, Poopsie, Baby, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I thought, oh my gosh, has it come to this? And something just said, it has, deal with it. So I would, you know, buck up and I would give them my resume and they usually said, what's this for? <laughs> I said, it's a resume. And they said, why would you bring that in? I said, it's oh traditional to hand over a history of your work, you know? And they said, oh, okay. So uh, I started getting these really poor jobs, but I took every single one because it was something and something is better than nothing. Uh, so I started out with their worst work. And after about a week, I started getting better and better assignments because their employers would call and praise me for being way overqualified for what they needed and how professional I was. Um, so I got longer and longer stints. But fortunately, every week I got a paycheck, no matter how small. It was probably around 5 or $6 an hour at the time. And it, that wasn't very good even then. And let me just say, I don't know if you're familiar with the show Mad Men, but it's almost like, I mean, it wasn't that era. You were a decade in, further in, but um, I, I'd imagine that it was sort of that kind of thinking. And, yeah. and um, it was the women that were running so much of the details, um, but weren't getting that credit. So it's great that they were calling and saying, look, we got to have her back. She's amazing. That was great for you. It was. And there was an ad for somebody to be a resume writer. And I learned how from another friend at the church I attended, how to write a resume well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I applied for the job and the manager really liked me and I really liked her. So she hired me. 
And I started working at this company and it started to fold. So I ended up buying the little company and I moved it into my house because then I wouldn't have to pay any rent uh, to an office and I would have people come to my house. And, and this is another thing I think women are great at. Then you could do like the different hats, right? Like I'm the business yeah. owner and then I'm mom trying to help with the math. Prod, prod. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah>. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so I started doing resumes and I had to advertise at first in the newspaper under the, you know, the business, a little section they'd have for little business blurbs like plumbers and carpenters and mine was resume writer. Uh, so I'd get a few people coming in and in between I'd be mom and then I would uh, do whatever else I could find that would generate some income legally, of course. Uh, by this time, I think I was down to about four or five kids at home. Um, so I was hired by another company um, and ended up going to work um, for a while. But the, the biggest problem was my two youngest were teenagers at that point, and they decided they wanted to act out. So I kept having to make juvenile court dates. Uh, and I knew that if I had a, quote, real job, that was not going to work very well. So I thought, well, I've got to come up with something that will help me earn money. And I saw an ad for a real estate agent. So I ended up going to real estate school, getting my license very quickly, uh, and went to work as a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. So I, my goal was that I knew as soon as the the two years that was required, plus the amount of millions of dollars I had sold, I could become my own broker. So at the end of two years, I went back to real estate school, graduated with a principal broker, with a broker's license, became a principal broker and opened my own brokerage. In the meantime, I had other little businesses on the side. I had started a catering company and that started to grow and it was too much trying to handle the household and you know, the writing business and the real estate business wow. to, to continue doing the catering. You do need to sleep <laughs> once, you do need to sleep once in a while, right? <laughs> I did. I, I had pretty long days. It started about five, five thirty in the morning, go until probably close to midnight. Yeah. So I had to close that one. I I've done so many things. I did silk screening of t-shirts um, that I had to give up because at the time I was my first husband and he broke the silk screen over my head. Um, so that wasn't working well. But let, let me just say, let me just say that, that um, I, it sounds to me like you did a lot of things, which, which is like, you stayed really fluid. You kept looking for what your qualities, you knew your qualities, you knew what you brought and how you could plug them in, which I think is brilliant. But also you probably had a nice, with, with seven children, you probably knew a lot of people. So you had a nice size network. And that I think is key, especially for women to have that community and that network, because then someone says, I need someone to, and then they're like, Hey, Barbara will be able to do that. Cause she da da da. Right. Is that that? A lot of well, actually in those days, I don't think that was as common because there really wasn't any social media at that point. Yeah, uh, there was no real way unless you had a church. And I did have some members at the church that I attended. It was a very small church um, who would help me out. In fact, they helped me get you know furniture when I got my very first place by myself. Uh -huh. uh, so that was one of the only ways that I had uh, of connecting with other women. Uh -huh. So these days, 
we actually are very, very fortunate because there are pe wonderful people like you, Elizabeth. Um, there are many ways of connecting with other people mm -hmm. through the social media, through our cell phones, um, and just so many different ways of doing things that you can connect to. And there's far more belief in collaboration versus yes. competition. And, and this is so critical. I'm a huge believer in that. Um, and also, too, when you were out there in the world, there wasn't a lot of women in the workforce. Um, so you really had to double down and work super hard and compete. Whereas now I feel like there is a lot of collaboration and collaboration is key and word of mouth and just connecting with people. I think that's really key. So, so um, it's interesting that, you know, you kind of um, pioneered the, the whole navigation of this. So please go ahead. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, eventually, uh, eventually I ended up uh, with yet another relationship mistake. Uh, we ended up owning two toy stores together. Um, that relationship ended and um, I, my business, my writing business was doing fairly well. By that time, I was becoming very well known in my community uh, and I would become, you know, I was the resume writer of choice for the entire fire department in uh, the city where I, where I lived. So anytime someone needed a resume, the captain said, you will go to this woman. She will, <laughs> she will do the job. Uh, so that was very inspiring to me. And of course, I learned a lot of tidbits over the years, odd facts from all my different resume clients. Um, what perfect light is, how to keep your lawn looking like it's a, a golf course. You know, it's just all these little things that you never would think of uh, had you not met these individuals. But over the years, I've, I've done everybody from janitors to CEOs of multinational corporations and from snowboarders to ballerinas. I did my grandsons when he was in kindergarten. Uh, so I would do things for fun as well as for or profit, and I was always open to helping people who couldn't afford. I always kept my my uh, prices extremely affordable, uh, so that anyone could afford to have me, and I made sure that they got way more than they asked for. Yeah, that's awesome. um, because the only way you can change the world is to help others, and that's where I think I ended up in coaching. Yeah. Uh, was I had moved away with my current husband for his job and I miss my family so much. Uh, several of my daughters and I are extremely close. I delivered two of my grandchildren at home uh, in home births. One was planned, one was not planned, but my first grandson who's now 33 and my first granddaughter who's now going to be, she's 19 now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I delivered them both. It was the highlight of my life getting oh, sure. delivered. Sure first person to touch another human being. It was amazing. Um, but I was really missing them. And I was talking to my husband. I said, I think I'm getting depressed. He said, how do you know? I said, because I just miss my family and I really feel sort of down. I, I just need to do something. And he said, well, what would you like to do? I said, well, I know you're in a master's program. I'm thinking maybe you should go back and try going to school online. And he said, okay, I know exactly the place you need to go because they offer coaching as part of their, as part of their psychology program and their APA approved and everything. I said, okay, great. So I started a master's program and I finished that. 
in February uh, 2010. I was in my 60s at that point. I immediately jumped into their doctoral program and finished that. I got my doctorate at the age of 70 in 2017. That's amazing. And uh, then I jumped into an online program with UMass Lowell for domestic violence prevention, which of course is very close to my heart since I, I'm very familiar with it. Uh, I got a graduate certificate of achievement in 2018 at 71. And everyone said, you really should write your own programs, Barbara. You, you really are good at coming up with ideas and things to help people. And I said, well, I could probably do one for college because it's really hard to go to online school when you don't have any, any people that you know who've done it. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn all this my own. Um, so I created a program, seven, uh, seven Six Steps to College Success, which I do offer on my website. And uh, I finished that at Western Governors Online uh, on Halloween night, 2019, an hour before it was deadline. So I've got two master's degrees. First is in psychology, second's in uh, instructional design. And then I've got my doctorate in psychology specialization in executive coaching. And that's what I love to do. So between that and writing, um, I just, and recently I've been doing some tutoring of grad students, especially I have a, a, a master's student from uh, Haiti, um, female nurse, and then I have a doctoral student back in Boston. So it's great to be able to meet with them and to help them learn how to do research and how to do research writing and how to format the uh, APA formatting correctly because that's very difficult. So it fills my time and... I'm always looking to do more. Well, I think, honestly, thank you uh, for sharing that story with me. And, and um, what I think is really important is there's so many things that you said that are, that are so important. First of all, you, you were asking the questions and then you were letting go of the results. You, and that's the hardest thing because we all want to make a plan and we all want to have a plan. We all want certainty. And my gosh, you were in such a place you had no certainty. And, you, and then you got sort of, you know, in the middle of the night, this sort of message or, or a question pop in your head and you're thinking, what? Okay, well, and then you went ahead and followed it. So you really, you know went on a little bit of faith and, and just courage and went ahead and took this path. And as you did it, it seems to me like things just started to unfold. And i that's what I call like organic growth. Like things just start to unfold if you allow it. But I found in my life, I've gone both ways where I've really tried to force a, force a decision or force a result. And it, it hasn't been um, especially successful. Whereas if I put it out there and then I wait and then things come popping up, like, you know, up, up the top and, and I actually follow them. I found that that has been uh, fortuitous. So I'm so glad that you did that. That's really inspiring. I'm sure for so many to hear that because um, we all want to have it all planned out and have our business plans in line and have everything planned, planned, planned. But uh, I think there's got to be a little bit that you got to leave a margin there for, for um, fluidness, for being open to, you know, yeah, I'm showing up and these are my skills, 
but at the same time, I'm open to what, what comes to me. So I think that that's an amazing story in itself. And then the fact that um, you have been able to help so many people and um, especially now with more and more people going online and wanting to do, um, you know, uh, education online, they're having to now. uh, And that might be a trend going forward. I think that you would be extremely valuable to a lot of people in your course, but also your coaching. Um, The thing that you had to do, and I think if you had people around you at the time who could coach you or mentor you and help you, you know, that would have been probably such a relief. And um, now, you know, here, you're able to do that for others. And um, I think that that is just amazing and huge that you're, you're taking everything you've learned and all your experiences and knowledge and helping others with that. So um, I'm a big believer in coaches. I feel like all of us really do need to ask for help and um, help is out there. There's plenty of people out there with lots of wisdom. And I think if you don't know who that person is, then you kind of put it out there that you're looking or seeking and, and just like you, things do come into your path. Um, so uh, I just really love your story. And so going forward, you're continuing to coach and yes. looking to, to help others. Um, and, and you help people from all age groups, not just old, you know, not just people going back to college, you know, in their midlife, but younger people as well, like millennials and younger than that, right? I've, yes, I've worked, I've done steady and organizational skills training for kids as young as seventh grade. I don't really want to go below that because I'm not sure that I'm not really, I don't consider myself a teacher. Um, I consider my, one of my daughters said, mom, you're walking encyclopedia. If I want to know, I call you. (laughs) That's what I was going to say earlier. I was going to say when you were doing everyone's resumes, you have all these facts and details. You're sort of the walking Wikipedia of like, you know, people's, people's vocations and things that they do and how you do this to that. And it's, it's, that's pretty interesting to have all of that, but um, yeah, not to be a teacher. It's good to know where you're best and where you maybe not. And I think you really help people when they come to you sort of figure that out. Right. Well, yes. When I, when I used to do, I had, um, in one situation, I had group coaching, which was done online via Adobe Connect. And I would have up to 75 people from literally around the world. They had to be English speaking, but there's different levels of speaking English, as we all know. Uh, and so one of the things that I would do the very first night is you get a group together who are total strangers from different walks of life from different countries with different cultures and different ways of doing things. And they're not about to speak up in class in the classroom or the the meeting room, if you want to call it that. Um, So if I would ask a question, usually it was like say general financial education or real estate investing. Uh, Usually entrepreneurship was done in one-on-one environments because everybody has a specific business that they're, they're seeking. Yeah. Um, But I would give them a story, a true story of when I was in college for the first time. And I didn't, I was the oldest person in my class. I mean, this was, I was considered a quote, non-traditional student. In fact, I was asked, I was a keynote address speaker at their non-traditional student orientation one year at my school uh, to talk about going back to school when you're, when you're older. 
at this point, I was probably in my 40s. So I believe me, to me, that's a kid. Uh, and I was in a class, a programming class, and our instructor, who was a lovely lady, had just explained basic uh, programming skills called nested loops, which is a, a circle inside a circle mm -hmm. uh, in programming. And I realized I didn't know what she was talking about. I mean, I'd studied, but it wasn't clear to me because other kids in the class had, you know, learned a little bit about computers, but I'd never touched one before. And um, I realized there were 30 students in the class and she said, does everyone understand? And everybody's head is going, yes. And I realized that mine was not. And she said, are there any questions? And it was dead silent. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do this. And I thought for my kids, I will do anything. So even if I can't do this for me, I can do this for my children. And I raised my hand just a little bit. And she looked at me, she smiled, she said, yes, Barbara. And I said the three hardest words I ever said in my life. I don't understand. Yeah. And, and that's okay. That, and that was, again, you were really brave. I was scared. Yeah. I, I knew that I got one chance. They were going to pay for me to go through school one time. I didn't get a second chance. So it was then or never. And she smiled a little bit and she said, what don't you understand? And I said, how about any of it? <laughs> she really did smile. And she looked around the class and she said, how many other students are having the same problem Barbara is? And 28 other hands raised. The only person who didn't was already a programmer and he just came back to get his degree. Oh my gosh. So I realized that if I didn't understand, there had to be at least one other person in the class who didn't have the courage to say something. And not that I did, but I did for my children. Yes. So I used that as my excuse to be able to get the help I needed. And of course, I did pass and, and graduate. But uh, it's one of the things I would say during this huge seven, you know, 75 person group class. And later, a number of the um, people, the participants in the group coaching session would say, the only reason I was able to say, ask for help was because you told that story, Barbara. It really helped me to be able to feel it was okay that you wouldn't judge me. And wow. it, it really made a difference in their ability to learn the information and to be able to speak up. And sure. I think, I think as we get older, cause you had, a, you had a few years on that classroom of people, we have less and less concern of how, how others might see us. Um, it, it starts to wane and we start seeing the importance of, of taking chances and risks. And I know young people take chances and risks all the time too. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that um, I think it, it does. You, you don't, you kind of do take a few more risks on whether or not you might look silly or foolish or um, admitting you failed or something. So I think that that is wise. Um, I wanted to ask you from being a mom of seven and, and married and then realizing that that wasn't going to work to now, what would you say are the like three to five characteristics that, that really got you through that the things that really got you through to where you are now? Number one, my children. Yeah. You ha I think you always have to have a reason for what you do. 
-hmm. um, when, <laughs> when I was nine months pregnant with my first daughter, we were in uh, Yosemite Valley and I had hiked up to the top of um, the uh, valley walls because my husband at the time was a climber and he was doing a, a major climb that was a multi-day climb. So I was going to meet him on top. It was early spring. And, you know, the rangers had said, well, you, you know, you, it's going to be snowy in some parts. So you're going to have to go close to the edge and take a look to see where you are. Mm -hmm. And so I had a, you know, stomach out front and a backpack on the back. And I was walking through a field of manzanita bushes. And all of a sudden I realized I was walking on air. I'd walked over the side of a 3,200 foot cliff. And I fell probably about four and a half feet, just enough. I was just about chest level with the wall. And I grabbed onto the same bushes that I had just walked through because it grew at one part and grew out and over. And I thought, I looked down at the valley floor and everybody looked like tiny little ants below me. I mean, the cars were tiny. And I thought, oh my gosh. You know, no one knows you know, what peril I find myself. Those are the exact words I thought, boy, I've been reading too many stories. Anyway, I, I thought, if I let go or if I fall, I'm going to die. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder if I should, what I'm going to do, because I can't, you know, I yelled for help. And I thought, you know, nobody can hear me because Yosemite Falls is right there. Mm -hmm. It would take him probably five to six hours to get to me. So I realized it's me or nobody. And I started trying to get my leg up back over this cliff with the backpack on. And I was on sideways on a little ledge that was convex covered with gravel. And my tennis shoes kept sliding it off. So I kind of kept switching feet. And I don't know how I did, but I said every prayer I could ever think of. And somehow I managed to get my heel up over the, the wall and drag myself, Grant, I was getting skinned up pretty badly, uh, back up on that ledge because I thought, I can't let my baby die. My baby has to be born. Oh. And that's the reason that I had to live. Yeah. So sometimes you can do things that you would not normally <laughs> or even abnormally be able to do if you have a good enough reason. Yeah. Uh, they talk about that being your why. Why is it that you're going to do this? So I think probably my biggest reason was you have to have a, something is so important to you that to not do it, it just, it wouldn't be worth it. To That's not, it's not even a question of not doing it. Like, right. I think you, you really, um, you know, are the epitome of resilience because you, and the, and the common denominator throughout your entire, you know, path has been. I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this so that, that um, they have a chance. I'm, and so it kept you going and it kept you focused on, on getting to that, you know, end result, which I think, um, you know, that's, that's amazing. It's amazing that you, that's an amazing story that you almost fell off a cliff and you hung on and got yourself up pregnant. That's just amazing. So it just, it just is a testament to, um, you know, your, your strength and, and your courage. 
I don't know if I was, I was pretty scared. I was really well, no, scared. But I mean, you, you just, but, you just were like, no, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to figure, you know, you were praying, you were saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got it. I can't let my baby die. I have to stay right. alive. And that's where you were able to continue with everything because your children, yeah, you so know, they really propelled you. <laughs> they did. They did. And I, I, so a lot of it has to do also with resilience now, you can actually develop resilience by doing little things. And, you know, one of the things when the kids were little, um, if somebody fall down or somebody have a bad day at school or something, they'd have a problem. Um, I remembered the songs, um, High Hopes and uh, Pick Yourself Up, Dust Yourself Off and Start All Over Again that came out of probably the 30s or 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and start all over again. And the kids grew up hearing that. And consequently, with the, the rough background that they all had, it's amazing. But they've turned out to be these amazing human beings. They're all in different paths or doing different things. But they've all grown up to be decent, you know, law-abiding citizens that's that's amazing that's yeah and according to my husband it's impossible and I said well they've done it though um so it's been I think a lot is resilience you've got to learn how to be resilient so I can still bounce grant you not as high believe me (laughs) because your ball starts to deflate over time (laughs) you know you adjust and you modify then being I think part of that is being able to modify um, you know, know what's important to you, follow what's important to you. The thing is the, when you're really young, you have all these hopes and dreams and goals and plans, and you're going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, then you're upset, you know, and it, it's normal. But yeah, by the yeah. time you get to a certain point, I don't know that I have wisdom, but I do have perspective. Because the further away you get from the mountain, the clearer it is and the broader the picture. So uh, being able to do that is, I would say resilience is probably one of the most critical factors. Um, And then. And then you're saying being able to, being able to switch up, like you were able to pivot and switch up. You were, you were remaining fluid. So you were resilient but you were also remaining fluid in the sense that you could switch up quickly and go, okay, this isn't working. I need to readjust. That's another trait I think is, is super valuable. Um, yes. Pivoting is definitely valuable. I know that's, you know, being able to go with the flow is very, very important because it's going to flow whether you want to or not. Absolutely. You might as well ride the wave as they say. You know. And then look around if you're resilient and, and if you have some experience, you kind of look around and go, okay, here's how it is now. What am I going to do to make it work? So I can exactly. And, exactly. Uh, so always, always be learning. Never, ever stop learning because, you know, they, they found that men have a tendency to die seven years younger than women. And it's because they retire. Mm-hmm. End of story put a period, it's the close of the show and they don't have anything to do because they don't have an after, after work, work plan or after work goals. Um, one, one coach that I knew uh, retired probably in his early thirties because he was well, he was extremely wealthy by that time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And he's about three or four months after he retired, I saw him back at the office. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm back here coaching. And I said, I thought you were retired. He said, you know, it really it occurred to me. There's only so many golf games I can play. <laughs> right. So, and, and we're all living so much longer. We and are. I feel like, um, with all this connection of, of millennials, like I had spoke to you before, you know, with uh, circle, Charlotte Japs circle, um, collect, connecting people over the generations, I think is, is key because we are living longer. We are still vital. Our, uh, what we know is valuable. And we can also still continue learning from the younger generations. So it's a win-win. Well, we have to because they, they're literally, their brains are literally wired differently than ours are when you're yeah. a boomer. And that's um, exciting. I always, I'm so curious and I, I like, I like hearing your, your story. I love hearing stories and I love hearing someone else's perspective on something um, yes. because it just, I learned something new. So um, Barbara, this has been really terrific and I but well, very much you. appreciate your time and, and telling your story and your honesty and just so valuable. Um, so thank you again for being here. You're so welcome, Elizabeth. And I would like to thank you for being so astute at picking out crucial points and, and rephrasing them and summing them up. You are really, really good at that. I hope you will continue doing so because it really puts things in a nutshell that people can find and say, oh, that makes sense instead of this rambling story. So great job. Thank you so much. Thank you again for listening. You can find links to any mentioned resources, mine and my guest social media, and more, all in the show notes at elizabethribbons.com. That's ribbons with one B. Enjoying the show? Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend or coworker. Reviews and word of mouth is still the number one way to learn about new podcasts, so I appreciate it. Until next time.